Do you like magic as much as I do? Yeah, you do. And we're talking about it after this sponsor. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. I, I didn't formally introduce you to the podcast in that intro, but hey, you know what? You got to vary it up a little bit. You got to switch it up. So welcome back to Eddie Green's 101. I am Eddie Green, and today's guest is a returning guest, Keith Kong. He was on uh, back at uh, back in, I think, like 30s or 40s, I think, if my memory serves me right. He was back on uh, at the beginning of March of uh, 2020, right before COVID-19 exploded. So we were able to record in person that time. But uh, unfortunately, this time we had to do a, re a remote recording. So yeah. Anyways, this episode is fucking amazing because at the end of that original episode, there was something revealed that I couldn't talk about that uh, I had to keep my mouth shut. And I knew at some point Keith was going to come back on the podcast to talk about it. And we made it happen. So do I tell you? Well, I feel like I'm going to write it in the show notes. He was on Penn and Teller Fool Us. And not only was he on the show, he fooled Penn and Teller. And that's that's an amazing accomplishment. Here he is. It's him in in virtual flesh. Get ready. Get set. Because it's Keith Kong. Hello? You motherfucking fooler, dude. Congratulations. <laughs> What's up? Thanks, man. Can you hear me okay? I'm, I'm using headphones for like the second time ever to do a call. So I, I know you said to use headphones. I don't know if that's... Does this sound fine? Yeah, no, no, no. You sound good. You sound good. Okay, cool. So uh, you uh, came on the podcast, I think, what, about... What was it, March? Like right before COVID became a giant phenomenon? Yeah, it was probably just after getting back from Vegas. And uh, are we, have we started? Oh, yeah, dude, we're off and running. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, what's up? So, um, yeah, yeah, it was probably right after I had just gotten back from Vegas. And I don't know if you saw the last YouTube video that I uploaded, but you were kind of like the first. Actually, I, I know that you did see it. I remember you commenting on it, but you were sort of the first in a series of Easter eggs. Ah, oh, dude, I'm on. Yeah, well, I was honored when you even. OK, so everyone listening, Keith's first episode at the very end, if you're curious about why we're kind of walking on eggshells, that's why, because uh, you had pulled you had pulled out the the award. You had pulled out the the fu, and uh, you showed it to me, and you were like, "Dude, I was on Penn and Teller, and I fooled them." And, and 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 then you were like, "And you also have to sign this so that you can't go and blab and and shit." Um, yeah. And yeah, it was. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, it was just really important to keep it a secret. But at the same time, I had this idea where for the first time, you know, I had the ability to 
to tease something really big. And the, the whole idea was you could not let anybody know. Like when they handed me the trophy, they said, hide this for six months. So of course, only like the closest people or, or people in the know, people that have worked on the routine with me could know about it. And it was, it was crazy. The waiting period between filming and airing, and you just want to know like, how are people going to react to this? What's the response going to be like from the magic community? And obviously knowing you from the magic community where we met in a magic shop, um, it was a great way to test it out. But the idea, there was also the idea to say, Hey, I fooled them and, and tell the world that without anybody actually realizing. So I'm sure that anybody that listened to that original episode probably had no clue what it was that we were talking about. But not only that, I left clues on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and even my email, uh, even my, if you're a member of my email list, you probably got emails with hints and cryptic messages inside. And it was only after Foolish aired that I was able to say, guys, I've been telling you all along, not only that I was on the show, but that I actually fooled them. Yeah. That, that, that video that you shared on your, on your YouTube, where you kind of go through that and you, and you, and you kind of reveal all the, the hidden clues. I love that video, dude. That was a great one. Thanks. So kind of now that we can talk about it and obviously, uh, you know, I'm not in the business. I'm not like saying, how did you do it? But like, I want to, cause dude, like that is, so I, you know, you and I, we, we have a magic history. That's, that's what started this friendship and watching that clip, watching your appearance on Penn and Teller is Part of me is wondering, is that the complete performance? And the reason I ask is because that's probably one of the most direct examples of mentalism that I've ever seen. There's very little going on there. There's like next to nothing going on there. All it is, is you coming out on stage, doing doing your presentation, which is like maybe, I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes, and then the reveal. And... I'm wondering, is there anything cut out there or is that the complete performance? I'm so glad you said this. Um, I'm glad you noticed that because, you know, some people in the comments, the video is uploaded on YouTube now. I think we're at about 20,000 views today, 21,000. And there's lots of comments and some people say, you know, it's hard to tell because of the camera cuts. And I'm really proud to say that what you see on TV is exactly what Penn and Teller saw. There's nothing cut out. There's nothing hidden. And I'm really glad you mentioned it because part of me feels like this is something more impressive to magicians and mentalists because there's no visual compromise. And that's what we really wanted. When you see a mentalist, sometimes there's a lot of procedure or there's something that looks fishy. And in this case, it was here's a list of songs, circle any song. Oh, that's the one you circled. I knew it would be, I knew that would be the case. And you're right. It's just as clean. It's so clean and direct. And I love that. And I'm really proud of it, but yeah, that's, that's all there is to it. That's crazy, dude, because obviously, you know, I haven't been performing for a while. So anytime I watch something, you know, part of me is, you know, really, 
trying to figure out, okay, what is going on here? Because I do have the history to it, but part of me is just trying to enjoy it. And on top of that, I know you in person. So now I'm thinking, okay, so I know Keith in person. I know how he is. I know his, his performance style. And, and so I'm watching this and I'm trying to figure out what exactly is going on in terms of method, because dude, I like, seriously, I have no clue the only thing that I could think of is what Penn talks about when he's giving his patter at the end there, right before he's like, you fooled us. And he's like, you know, the audience knows as well as we know that while Allison thinks she has a completely free choice, there is no way she has a completely free choice. And it's some kind of a force and we don't know what that force is. And it was a great moment. I loved it, dude. Like I was, when I, because I knew, okay, so I knew going into the episode that you were going to fool them versus everyone else that that had no clue. Like maybe does he fool them? Does he not fool them? So I was just waiting to see how Penn was going to tell you you fooled us, and I loved the way he did it. Like I thought it was so classy how he how he just kind of led you down one route where he was like maybe okay maybe we know the force <laughs> but we don't know what the fuck that force is. I went back and forth so many times as like in the actual moment when he's saying the first words out of his mouth are pretty much, I'll tell you how you could have fooled us. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, oh man. And then as he starts talking, I'm like, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. This, (laughs) this might work. And uh, it, it did. So I went back and forth when he said, we feel like it was a force or something like that. I'm like, well, not really. No, it wasn't. I'm thinking maybe I do have him. And before I knew it, he he says, we don't know what that force was. He fooled us. But have you heard what Penn says in his in his own podcast, Sunday School? Okay, so I do follow that podcast, but I didn't I didn't know like what does he actually talk about every guest? He uh Sometimes. And so on last Sunday's episode, he did talk about me and I'm, I'm just waiting cause I, I'm going to pull that audio and throw it up on YouTube, but it'd be great to maybe include here as well. He says some really nice things about me and, and just the act. And he says, one of the coolest things he says is that it was exactly the way it's supposed to be and that I really fooled them. So yeah, I'll post that video as soon as I get the audio, or maybe you can include it here or, or link to it. But it's it's worth a listen. Oh yeah, dude, absolutely. I, I, man, it's that show is that show is actually really because I watched the entire episode, and there's like uh, there's a few guests on there or um, uh, performers on there. But dude, like you really and and I don't know, like if you've uh, like if if you went back to the comments on the YouTube cha- uh, channel, but for some reason, it's like, I don't know why it seems a lot of people are not focused on that performance, your performance necessarily. And I don't know why, like, uh, like, of course, there's a lot of comments on the opening one with the escape artist, because I guess you she's, know what? she's, I actually haven't, uh, I haven't looked at the comments too much on that, that video of the whole episode. I've been focused mostly on the comments on your just stuff. on my performance on my YouTube channel, but it might be good to to look back at that. Yeah, because it it's weird to me that a lot of people are focused on 
acts that didn't fool Penn and Teller. And here's your performance, which again, dude, I'm not saying it because we're we're friends. Like seriously, that is one of the strongest demonstrations of mentalism that that I can think of because it's so direct. There's no bullshit going on. It's 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 you know one two three. Here we go. And for some reason, like I haven't looked at the comments since I watched it. Uh, I don't know how long ago. So maybe there's some comments in there, but it was really like annoying me. I was like, why is no one talking about Keith? It, it, like, the, like, did, like, did did you guys watch the entire episode? Because that is, I mean, I think you might be the only one in that episode that fooled them. I was, and uh, I was also the only one at that taping because what you see is not the actual order. It's uh, the way they do it is Penn and Teller wear the same outfit every day for the season, and so does Allison. And that way they can cut the acts together in any sequence they want. It's it's for us to it's to be more entertaining when you see it on TV because you're not going to see four card tricks in the same episode, for instance. They're going to try to mix it up, add in a mentalist, put a card mechanic in there, and <clears throat> maybe a guy doing a big illusion. But in my taping, I was, I think, the only one to fool them, which was amazing because I was, it's not like I went into this like, oh, 100%, I'm going to fool them. I was actually probably the least confident in my whole group that was in Vegas just because I was so focused on the performance and so focused on getting everything right. Uh, actually fooling them was sort of an afterthought. Now, we knew it was a possibility because it's a very fooling routine. Like you said, it's so direct. There's nothing funny. There's no funny moves. People speculated like, oh, maybe there's like something on the plaque and he's changing the uh, the songs. But in order for that to work, you would ha- I would have to be able to change the plaques and the the artwork as well because there was artwork on the plaque of like a little farm and stuff to accompany Old McDonald. And then I hand that to Penn and they check that out thoroughly. Like there's nothing that they can find there. They check out the list. Everything is in their hand. I'll tell you that it's probably the most impractical thing to do. It's not something that I'm going to put into my show every day, but for this and all the work that went into it, it was 100% worth it. So without revealing methods, cause that's, again, we're not here to do that. Um, what is the, where's like the initial idea with your team? Like, what is the, do you get the call first from Penn and Teller? And then you're like, all right, guys, shit, now we got to figure out something. Or do you have this in your back pocket that you've kind of been sitting on? And now you get this call and you're like, all right, this is the perfect opportunity to, to whip this out. Well, for me, it sort of starts with, a lot of people, a lot of magicians in particular, and I don't know that this is going to resonate with some of your listeners because they're not, you know, in the magic community, but in the magic community, it's a common way of thinking to say, <clears throat> do I want to start with the effect, like the trick itself, or do I want to start with the way that it's going to make somebody feel? Is this focused on like what I want to do or how I want the person watching to respond and to feel when they're watching it. And for me, I didn't start with either of those. I started with the visual. 
I like to think what would be visually pleasing on TV, what would be something that people at home might want to watch or the producers or a live audience. What's a cool moment. And for me, that moment was the mashup of the song. I thought that it would be a really cool moment to have Penn singing a song on the show. I also took a negative and made it a positive because it's a really tough thing to come up with original material when you're six seasons into a show. This show has six seasons behind it. So it's like, if there's something that's going to be done on the show, chances are it's been done. And now you have to think outside the box. So instead of worrying about all the material that's been used over the past six years, I took the material that's been used over the past six years and made something new out of it. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. And you're doing it with a team, right? Like it's, it's you, it's, there's a guy named Brent, right? In your team. Yeah. So Brent is a, a really well-known magic consultant. He runs a company called the magic firm and the guy's a genius. He's one of the smartest guys in, in magic that I know. And so we worked together on this going back and forth. He's actually the guy that encouraged me to, you know, consider performing on Fool Us. Before that, I'd been a fan of the show, but I'd never really pictured myself on the show for some reason. It's, it's like you look at the show and you're like, oh, there's that guy. I'm a, I'm a fan of his and there's this guy. But you never say, I mean, that's always the goal. That's the end goal. Like one day I'll be on that stage. But for me, it's like probably not too soon. I'm sure that the show will be over by then. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll run out of seasons. And so with his phone call, it was kind of, it was like, wow, this guy really thinks that that I have what it takes to do this. And then it's just like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I do. Yeah, of course. Why not? Let's do it. And so that's really all it took. And for Brent, he's told me a lot that all of his success, he attributes to people believing in him more than he believes in himself. So I guess that was kind of one of those moments for me. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. It's, it's so good. I mean, like there's going to be a link in the show notes if people haven't seen the performance and, and, uh, go check it out. Cause it, again, it's just, and, and, and trust me and, and, and trust Keith when he says that there's no cuts because there's, it, it's, it is so insanely direct. And if you are any, like, if you're at, like, just at, like a basic level understanding of, of how a lot of techniques and methods work and, you watch this, there's literally the only, when I watched it, this is what went through my head, dude. This is like, I'm going to kind of give you like a step-by-step walkthrough of what's going through my head. So you come out, I love the introduction, by the way, because I remember when we talked last, you were like, dude, like they had me do some weird shit. They had me like stand in front of a camera and look like I'm freaking out. And, and then of course that happens in your introduction, but then it makes sense in the introduction um, right. and I just laughed to myself because I was like, Oh, that's what he talked about. Okay, sweet. Um, so I love the introduction. It's, uh, like, I love how you're talking about how you were, you were in Egypt, India, you were India, India, and you were performing some mentalism for some, some folks and they called you, what did they call you again? Jadugar. Yeah. Yeah. So- 
Yeah, and so I, I mentioned it to a guy in India when I was there. I said, yeah, so these people are calling me Jadugar. Do you know, what does that mean? And and he said, it's like, uh, how do you say, like a, like a sorcerer. That's what he told me. And I was like, cool, sorcerer. <laughs> and so, so I mentioned that in this package shoot. And I've seen a lot of comments uh, from people that are like, hi, I'm from India. Jadugar means magician, not sorcerer. Um, or there's some some people that that might believe it's real, like the older generation might feel that it's like an actual sorcerer, that sort of thing. And I guess maybe that's just one of the people that I ran into. So sorry if I got that wrong. But from what I was told, it meant sorcerer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even if it's not entirely correct, it it, it just sounds good for that package. <laughs> right. But that package is really good. And then, of course, you know, it's all right. And Keith Kong. And you come out, man. And I see the television. I also really like whose idea was it to do the uh, the variation of the voice logo? Oh, that was the production team. That was super cool, which I didn't see until dress rehearsal basically you come out in dress rehearsal Penn and Teller still aren't there they still have no clue who's going to be on the show but the crew is there and you're just standing on the stage and they're testing the camera this is before the audience comes in or anything like that and while you're blocking and, and standing on the stage making sure you're going to hit all your marks for the cameras they are the design team the production team is playing around with different backdrops in on the screen behind you. So, you know, it's happening behind you and you kind of peek back every once in a while, but you're not sure what the final decision is going to be. And I think they base it in part off of your outfit because that's one thing I noticed. I was like, wow, that really matches well. Everything looks great on that set when you combine what I'm wearing and, and the backdrop, plus the idea of the voice and pen singing. I loved it. So that was, uh, that's all credit to the Foolis production team. Yeah, dude. It, it, yeah, it really does look, uh, yeah, very visually stimulating. And, and, uh, so you, you do the thing, right? So the first thing that kind of caught my attention was when you bring Allison over and you're like, here's a list of songs and just circle one of the songs. And so I'm thinking, okay, all right. She circles a song, she leaves. And at that point, I think I paused it because I'm thinking, all right, there's no tomfoolery going on right now that I can see <laughs> that I can see with my own two eyes. And I have some knowledge of, of, of potential methods going on here. And as far as I can tell, there's no, there's no switch. There's no, there's no nothing. And then it goes into, you know, you saying, Hey, Penn, you actually have sang a song on this, on this show. And then of course you show it to him. The, at that moment I was thinking to myself, all right, is he buying time? Is this is this buying time right here? Or is this actually just, you know, is this the reveal? Is the like is this the actual reveal? And I'm happy that it wasn't, dude. I'm happy it wasn't because I think a lot of people would have been like, oh well, I mean, that's so easy to just you know, like 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 that's easy to 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 pull together. I mean, all you have to do is have every song uh, like cut together, well, you know. You know what? I'm glad you said that too, um, because that in itself would not be as easy as people think. And uh, I'll tell you why. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that I made that video myself. That video of Penn singing 
that that was done over the course of at least three sleepless nights, like just eighteen hour days of of literally watching every season of the show one through six at that point and listening intently to every word that Penn said while I had a checklist or while I had a, a list of lyrics to, to several songs and just listening to hear, is it even possible to complete one of these songs? And so I got really close with Mary had a little lamb. I don't think he ever said Mary or lamb though. Uh, London bridge. I don't think he ever said London or bridge. Like we were, we got close on a few, but we're missing serious words so i had several songs with lyrics sat beside me and i'm just listening and anytime he says a word that i need for any of these songs i just time stamp which season which episode at what point does he say this then i had to pull all that video line it all up which sounds really choppy and then auto-tune it go back and find clips to sort of match and then the other thing is with uh Old McDonald, some of these lines are redundant, and you see that where it's uh, with a. He never says cluck cluck. He says clock clock. So you see the the clip where he's holding up the clock, or you see a chicken on the screen. But all of that took so much work, and it wasn't even possible to do with a lot of these other songs. So people guess like maybe there's 15 versions, or I get a lot of comments saying release the other videos. Um, there's, there's not, <laughs> there's not other videos. It, it just would be way too cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah, no, like that does make sense. But like, as I was watching, I was like, don't let this be no, no. And then I'm like, like, seriously, you know, I'm so happy that it wasn't, but then you go into, right. I have this, 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 this thing that's been sitting here this whole time, which, you know, as you watch it for the first time, I think, uh, you as the audience, you kind of forget that you even bring it up in the first place because you're so focused now on this television and and uh, and then you go over to it. There's no there's no um, there's no funny business going on in terms of how you open the package. You just literally open it so so normally and like anybody would, and then it's right there, man. It's just right there. And then the fact that because I was thinking, okay, so there has to be something with the frame slightly like, like, like there's going like something is going on with this frame, but you hand it to the guy and you hand the list over because they ask for the list. So it's literally foolproof. I mean, no pun intended. It, it, it is literally foolproof because the only other thing that I can think of, and I don't think they do this on that show, is that Allison is in on it. Like that's literally the only thing that I can think of is the fact that before the show, you're like, hey, Allison, pick Old McDonald. <laughs> yeah, it's not allowed on the show. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so good, dude. It's so good. And look, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, believe in, believe in supernatural powers and everything. And you've never actually made claims that it's actually, you know, real. Like, there is a method to it. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting, man. It's, um, it's... Like I said, it's it's definitely one of the most direct examples I've ever seen, and and uh, coming from the community itself is is so 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 what's been the like what's been the reaction to it, and and not even necessarily from the general public, from like people in the community. What's been the the reaction to that episode? Oh, it's been amazing. I uh, just the media attention. I've done interviews 
and have an article posted now in the Orlando Sentinel about it. Wesh too did a um, did a segment on it. At least at least one, if not two. And of course, I get to be on Eddie Green's podcast, and that one's pretty huge. <laughs> But it's been great. iTricks post, which is a magic news website, posted about me. Um, I, like I said, the videos got thousands of views now, and I've also been talking to some other producers about possibly filming something new, something sort of about this experience. So that's exciting. Obviously, COVID's slowing that down, but hopefully around October we'll pick that back up. Yeah. Do you get like a, uh, has Blaine messaged you at all? No, <laughs> <laughs> some exciting people have though, which has been amazing when you see people that you admire other performers and stuff have been kind enough to, to message and say, thanks for representing our art. Well, and great job. The society of American magicians has been posting about it, which is nice. Ooh, nice. And yeah, it's just been it's been crazy. And now, obviously, on top of getting that that amazing trophy, which I was uh, lucky enough to hold and just see that in person, because you know, obviously, I've I've watched the show and and uh, always thought that that was such a very unique award to have on display. Like, if you were ever to win one, like a big F U, because I love how the F and the U is so giant compared to the O O L and the S. Um, and just to see that in person, man, and 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 it was just, yeah, it was a big honor. Seriously, like it was like, I I was really honored that you felt comfortable enough even showing it to me. <laughs> and I think you asked me. I said, I think you said, is this this is real? Like you didn't make one? Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, dude, like please tell me this is actually legit, and you didn't just like like <laughs> like craft this yourself because you just were like, I want one. <laughs> Yeah, man, it was it was great to see that in person. And then, of course, on top of getting that, you get the opportunity to actually perform at their theater. And what's going on with that? Because I know COVID is uh, like a big thing. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, what is that? COVID. This COVID you speak. No, uh, yeah, but you're right. It's slowed things down. And the producers have reached out and they said, hey, you know, obviously as fooling Penn and Teller, part of the part of what you get is to go back and perform in their show in Las Vegas and the theater shut down right now. So they said, well, we can do this. We can sort of buy you out or we can just hold off until things go back. And I was like, it's too cool of an offer to pass up. So I'm going to hold out and we'll see as things open up, then we'll pick a date and get back to Vegas. And, and this time, I think it'll be a lot of fun because I'll have that one performance, but, and then I can enjoy Las Vegas. But when I'm in Vegas, usually it's, it's so much focus on getting things right in the routine for fool us. It was like nonstop rehearsal going through the scripts and, and working on the method in, in Las Vegas last time, <laughs> every time I rehearsed, it was almost like something went wrong and taught me and the team a little bit more about how to make this better. So it's great. It was like 
everything would look good except for one thing. And we'd say, yeah, that, that could be a problem. Maybe we should, maybe we should modify this. And then something else would happen and it'd be like, well, I'm, I'm really glad that happened because had it happened live, we would have been in trouble. So how can we adjust that? So just doing it again and again, it'll be nice this time to just go on stage, do one routine or two or whatever it is. And then, uh, enjoy Sin City. Are you required to do that exact performance or can you just do whatever you want to do? I don't know yet. I, I think they typically like when you do the same routine, but I have also seen other performers in the past do different routines. Okay. Although those different routines have been like original award-winning acts that, you know, they were just ready to go. So for me, I'm not sure what I'm going to perform there yet. And I haven't really given it too much thought since we don't have dates, but maybe it's something, something I'll have to start thinking about. Yeah, dude, that's, that's amazing. And do you get a, do you get like, are you paid to do it or is it just like the opportunity is the pay? I don't think I get paid actually. (laughs) I think that I, I I know they'll fly me out and they'll cover all of that stuff and maybe I'll get like a per diem or some meal vouchers and that sort of thing. But as far as, you know, payment, like an actual show, I'm not sure. I think it's like that with all TV shows though, or or most of them, you know, if you were going to do the Ellen show, I think, I don't think they pay you. I think they just fly you out and set you up. You do the show and, I mean, if you think about it, just the exposure alone yeah, is, is the pay. so worth it. It's like, it's similar to how artists pay the Super Bowl to perform at the halftime show. Oh man. Yeah, no, I didn't even, I didn't know that. They pay this. Really? Yeah. They, they, they pay the NFL. Yeah. So the, I mean, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's not cheap. Anytime you see a Super Bowl halftime show, that performer paid a large sum of money to perform there. That's interesting. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was the NFL's like, hey, we want J-Lo, so we got to pay her $2 million to be here. But she pays you $2 million. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's more than that, I think. Um, That's crazy, dude. Yeah, I think dude. it's sometimes like 10 million shit uh well yeah like that's i mean that makes sense i I mean that is uh the fact you were on that show and and now you're getting the opportunity to go back and who knows what's going to come from that opportunity you could be i mean you could strike up a even like a just a like a talking friendship with 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 penn and teller because i know he does talk like that's (laughs) have you ever actually seen videos of him talking it's so weird because he has kept it going for so long and it's so it's so well done how quiet he is and then when you actually see him talk it almost doesn't add up it like it like it seems like there's a glitch (laughs) and he has such a unique voice which makes it funny too it's like you're just not expecting that (laughs) he actually spoke to me after the performance and said some really really nice things he came up to me backstage right after I had gotten the trophy and it was still all so fresh. I was so excited. And he walks up and he's like, how did you, how did you force it? And 
I was like, well, it wasn't a force. And he's like, well, sure, you know, like, sure it was. And I'm like, no, no, this. And like, I start telling him a little bit about what I did. And, and he looks surprised and he, he stops for a moment. He doesn't say anything. And he's like, huh, good. I'm glad. I feel like we were righteously fooled, which was amazing to hear because I sort of think that up until that point, they maybe thought, well, we know it's a force. We just don't know how. So like, yeah, he's going to get us on a technicality. But I don't think it was until that point when I spoke to Teller that he realized how bad they were fooled. That's funny, dude. I mean, like, it's something that I've always had a slight issue with with that show is when they do feel like that they've figured it out, right? Now, they have... It's an interesting dichotomy because they have to walk a fine line because, of course, they don't want to reveal stuff because they have, you know, they have respect for the for the art. And so they're not out to, you know, outright say this is the exact method. So, you know, when Penn is describing, he'll usually uh, a lot of times he'll use like kind of keywords or key actions. He'll make things with his hands that that the performer knows. But there's been a few times where he's kind of not even done that. And he said, like. Uh, well, we know how you did it. And, and, and then of course now the, the host, Allison is like, do you feel like they, like they figured it out? And the performer is just like, yeah, they figured it out to me. It's always been like, I don't know. Like I would, I mean, I would challenge it. And, and I know like when you challenge it, cause you do have that option, right? You can actually be like, no, they didn't figure it out. Yeah, but it makes bad TV. So it, really, they they get it right most of the time. The way that it, it works is there is a magic consultant, Michael Close, in the ears of Penn and Teller. So they understand when, when Penn and Teller are talking, Michael Close is listening, and he understands the method. He's the guy that – he's the judge, basically. And so they've, they've worked it out now to where if – Penn and Teller fooled you. I mean, I'm sorry, if you fooled Penn and Teller, then they'll usually say, well, Eddie, you know, it was a great routine, blah, blah, blah. And they'll give you a code and they'll say, does that give you a, does that pretty much give you an idea of, of how it was done? And usually if that's how it happens, they know if they just start out delivering a code, there's a really good chance that they know. Now, if you fooled them, they'll outright say, you fooled us. And you'll see this is sort of newer. So if you watch this season in particular, and maybe some of last season, you'll notice they'll just be quick to say, all right, you got us. Or, or they'll bust you right away with a code. The third scenario, which is the one I fell into, is if they're not sure. And then it becomes a back and forth negotiation. So if they ask follow-up questions, if they, you know, kind of talk more and it's more than just a code followed by, does that tell you what you need to hear or, or outright saying you fooled us? If it's anything more then you're in this negotiation and, and you know that they're maybe onto you, but they're not a hundred percent sure. And so that's where I found myself. And, the moment Penn asked if, if they could see the list, 
I knew that that's where I was. I was like, okay, so it could go either way at this point. And one thing that I thought was cool, if you watch the video, Penn asks to see the list and I, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then I'm like, yeah, I think we can allow that. And I see in the comments, some people are like, well, when he, when Penn asked for the list, Keith looked nervous and he said, this list, maybe there was another list and it was switched out. And maybe I played that too well, but I was acting intentionally nervous because I was like, well, yeah, of course, there's nothing that they're going to find. I just thought I would play with them for a moment and make them think like, oh, we might be on to him. But they had that list for a solid five to six minutes that they were just inspecting it. That's so interesting, dude. I mean, that's a good, yeah, that's... It's interesting because I know there have been a few examples of 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 the magician, I guess, kind of coming back and being like, you know, no, no, I don't think you fooled us. I don't or or, or no, sorry, I don't think you figured out the method. There you go. Um, well, I, I guess there's a lot of psychology in that, too, with the list thing, because I figured if I act worried about this list for a second, then maybe they'll spend more time on the list, which I know isn't going to give them any answers. Hmm. Do you feel like this, do you feel like Penn and Teller fool us? Cause I've seen, there's been a, there's been a debate I think in, in the, in the community over whether it's a, uh, not even a legit show. Cause it is a legit show, but like whether it's progressing the, the, like the art forward, do you feel it's, it's doing that? Or do you feel it's because it is a very kind of, clear cut and dry all right you're going to come out here and you're going to try to fool us and there's a big argument over going well you know i mean the art is more than trying to fool somebody it's it's trying to do something else it's trying to create a memory it's trying to uh get a reaction that's gonna you know live with them forever i mean you're not just outright trying to fool them so do you feel like this show is is progressing the art forward or is it slowly but surely holding it back in a way Oh, no, I think 100% it's progressing the art. And, you know, here's the reason why there's the whole fool us thing. Basically, the way I see it, Penn & Teller wanted a, a show that would showcase magic, a show that would showcase some of the best magicians and mentalists from around the world. TV producers and networks don't really... Like, it's hard for them to latch onto. It's like, okay, so you just want to put magic on TV. What's different about it? The thing that they do understand is competitions. So the moment you say, well, we'll make it a competition and we'll add in a trophy, then they're like, okay, we get that. Yeah, let's do this. And so there's the show. But I think a lot of the performers that go on the show and even the producers themselves, even Michael Close will tell you, if you're just focused on fooling them, then you're sort of missing the point. It's an opportunity to really showcase some great magic and mentalism. And more than anything, you want to be entertaining. If you fool them, it's a cherry on top. So for me, I was, I'm so grateful to fool them, but going into it, I wasn't worried about whether or not I would. I think as long as I did a good performance, I would have left the stage smiling either way. Huh? Yeah, 
It's 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 it, it's definitely this kind of 50-50 thing and I don't even know where I fall in terms of it. I don't I don't know if it's just because I don't necessarily practice the yard anymore, so it's sort of like I don't it's not necessarily even my business to to make a judgment call on something like that, but I can see both sides of the argument. I can well, definitely. Let's let's look at Piff the Magic Dragon, who was probably one of the most successful acts on the show that did not fool Penn and Teller, but out of that appearance, he then went on to America's Got Talent, and now he has his own show in Las Vegas. I think he's on a a TV, a different TV competition show right now, down to the finals, I think maybe between him and Gilbert Gottfried, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> what show is this? <laughs> I want to watch... The, I just heard a little bit about it on one of Penn's podcast episodes, but but the point is he didn't fool them and he went on to be super successful. And a lot of acts that were on the show that are highly respected didn't actually fool them. There's Mac King, who's been at Harrah's for like two decades now. There's the Evisons. There's a lot of really amazing acts that have been on the show and didn't fool Penn and Teller. That's true. I mean, I think my favorite example is, um, cause he's one of my favorites. Like he's uh, sort of, I think if I have to pick a idol in magic, it's, it's ah, Jay Sankey, Jay Sankey dude. Um, and I love his performance because he, he doesn't fool them at the end. It, it's, it's revealed through Penn and Teller. Like they're, yeah, no, you didn't, you didn't fool us. You know, we were kind of on to everything you did. And if you follow Jay, he actually released like pretty quickly after that appearance came out. He he released a video on his channel, on, on, on his YouTube channel, where he was saying, basically, I did fool them and they don't even know I fooled them. And his whole act was he went in not even because, I mean, he's for everyone listening who might not know, Jay Sankey is a creator of magic. He doesn't necessarily put himself out there in the way Chris Angel, David Blaine, he's not looking for notoriety. He's essentially the like the like one of the people that work for the popular magicians. So he has he has a following in and of it like in and of itself. He doesn't need to fool Penn and Teller because he's arguably I mean, I would say he's arguably more prolific than Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller just have the notoriety of being Penn and Teller, but Jay Sankey has created so much magic throughout his life um so it's it's really admirable that way but he went in not trying to fool them he went in trying to do his performance and get them to say you didn't fool us so that he could be like no i did fool you and then he reveals in his video you know he'll he'll cut back and forth between the performance and then pen saying this is what we think it is and then he'll show that it's something else entirely so in a way he did fool them you know I, I'm not a fan of that video at all. And I don't think that Penn and Teller were either. I know that they actually talked about it at one point, or at least Penn did. And it's just, I think it kind of, it means too hard into the I fooled you thing. Um, there's, it's problematic because it focuses so heavily on the importance of fooling them which I have already said, I don't think it is as important as people 
make it out to be. It's a huge accomplishment, but it's not the end all be all. And the other thing is everything that Penn and Teller, everything that they say about his routine, the fact is he could have done it exactly as they're describing. And so there's a big problem on the show with red herrings. Red herrings, I think, undermine the show. They undermine the actual aspect because if you do something that clearly could have been established with a different method and it's impossible to tell the difference, then it's kind of, you're playing a line and they try to, they try to limit those red herrings. The other thing is if Jay Sankey really did all of those things that and Penn and Teller were wrong, then either Michael Close would have known that and Jay would have gotten the trophy or he would have lied to Michael Close and the production team as well. So there's only three options either. uh, Well, I guess there's only two, which would be Jay lied to the production team and including the magic consultant on the show, Michael Close, which would be the only reason that that trophy would not have come down or he's lying in that video. So for me, I think it's just like a, a way to prolong the appearance, which makes total sense. It's kind of the reason that I did the cryptic messages. I thought it would be cool to add something new, something that hadn't been done while maximizing on the appearance on fool us. But with that video, I feel that it kind of, it kind of misses a lot of the, the points to the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like it, it kind of comes off. I guess you could make the argument like it kind of comes off childish in a way. It comes off <laughs> like very sore loserish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know, Jay. I don't know, you know, the truth about it or, or anything like that. But these were just my impressions from the video. I think it was like he shot and he missed and in the process probably pissed off. Penn Teller and <laughs> some of the production team over there. Dude, it's funny that you that like well, it's funny because Jay Sankey is it's so interesting because um you'll know this name. I reached out to Justin Miller. Um and I was like, dude, I want to get you on my podcast. I've had a few magicians on. It, it, it's funny, dude. Like anytime I reach out to new magicians now, like that I'm trying to get on. Because uh, he was the first since your appearance, uh, I like like I know you'll like this. In in my pitch, um, now going forward, gonna be like. Plus, I had Keith Kong who was on Penn and Teller and <laughs> fooled them. So you're you know that's you're, awesome. You're adding credibility to 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 this podcast. Um, so I reached out to Justin Miller. I was like, dude, I want to get you on the podcast. I love talking this stuff. And and here's who I've had on before. And and Keith Kong was recently on who made an appearance on Penn and Teller and fooled us or fooled them. And he got back to me and we had this nice like, kind of back and forth and, and we're scheduling that. But, you know, we got into talking about magic and 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 influences, inspirations, all that stuff. And I brought up the name Jay Sankey. I'm like, dude, I think Jay Sankey is my, my like my go to guy. And he was like, oh, my God, no, don't go back. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like, what is what is wrong with Jay Sankey? <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I don't know him personally. It's just um, I, I've 
I'm sure he's a great creator and stuff. But for me, we talked about this last time too. A lot of what I do is not, it doesn't coincide with what he creates and puts out. And I've never, I've just never really latched on like that to any of his work. Nothing's really been super mind blowing to me. I follow more in the footsteps of guys like Luke Germay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's I think it's I think one of the problems with Jay Sankey is because he has put out so much material and I feel like people think at some point he's a little bit of a sellout because he'll kind of refurbish and repackage shit and and he'll release it again. And I think uh in the community itself, I think people have a problem with that and and it's sort of like, oh, well, now you're just putting a variation on this one effect and you're calling it something else and you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, the guy does run a business. He has a business that he runs, and so I get it. You know, he has a family he has to feed. and uh, Sure, and if you sign a contract that says, I'm going to put out X amount of products within a certain time frame, and all of those products rely on creativity and that sort of thing, it's it's kind of hard to meet those quotas sometimes. So I kind of understand it. But I'm not, I haven't really put any attention into Jay or <laughs> figuring his situation out. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I am really looking forward to getting uh, Justin on because he was, uh, it was funny because I sent him the message and dude, instantly, apparently I think he was, I think he was in Utah or something and he called me. He like, he called me on Facebook Messenger and uh, it sounded like he was in a bar or something and we just started talking, dude, and I, I, I think he had some alcohol in him for sure. Um, <laughs> and and I know he won't mind me talking about this because we've talked about what like what we do and don't want to talk on the podcast. So okay, uh, good. I was like, you know, Justin <laughs> might not. <laughs> We're going to see uh, Jay Sankey walk up to Justin Miller at the next Magic convention and be like, nah. "Hey, man, so I heard you uh, have a problem with people <laughs> idolizing me." <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Funny enough, I've actually reached out to Jay as well, and uh, he's uh, been very kind. As like he's been like, I'm just really busy and and I can't come on. I'm like, oh, okay, that sucks, but all right, I guess I understand. Um, but yeah, Justin is uh, Justin's pretty unique uh, for everyone listening. He's a uh, he's also a creator. Um, he's also done a few other things, like he did a sci-fi show, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, he's 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 really interesting. I can't wait to talk to him because he has just this really unique personality and kind of view on everything. And I told him where I used to work. I like like I told him what, how I got into 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 the art and everything and the companies I worked for. And he was it was funny. It seemed like everything I said he had a negative reaction to. Like he didn't <laughs> like he didn't like anybody that I was talking about. And I'm like <laughs> like for the people I worked for, I totally 100 percent get it. I 100 percent get where you're coming from. Um, you know, I think it's important. I think the big takeaway from this story is that when you mentioned my name, he responded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but everybody else. You're shitting on. <laughs> That's good, dude. I like that. That's funny. Um, part of me wonders, because I, I know I asked you, like, have you gotten a call from Blaine or anybody? Like, like I wonder if those guys, those those pop culture icons in magic if they watch the show like i wonder if they watch and they're like "Ooh, that person i really like that person i want to get them on my team now i 
I don't know who watches. I, I have gotten literally the, the the next day. I did get some calls from some producers and and that sort of thing, but it's nothing set in stone. It's nothing that I really want to talk about now because it's so early in that process, but it was amazing to get those calls and to get that outreach, people calling and, and emailing saying that they had read about me in the paper and they were inquiring about their own socially distanced performance events. So uh, COVID's definitely put a damper on it, but still the feedback has been amazing. Well, you've been able to really kind of uh, benefit from this. Like, I mean, and and that's something that's really unique about the art and especially what you do where where like in the in the art, your subgenre of the art is is actually really beneficial. You can still do it the way you've been doing it in like the videos you've been sharing. You've been doing a lot of, you know, Zoom calls, Skype calls, and you're still able to, you know, get that across, get your message across, get the effect across without actually losing a little or, or w- without losing too much that you would have in person. Yes. You don't have just the energy that comes off, you know, the, like the room when you're in person, but you know, it's, it's not the same, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of stand up comedians that are trying to do uh stand up comedy over zoom calls and shit for some reason. I like, I like, I don't know why. And it just doesn't work as well. You know, like this is an art form that can actually really still benefit through these virtual meetings. So you're actually, you know, pretty lucky when it comes to what you do and you're not necessarily losing too much because of COVID, you know? Yeah. Like you said, it just doesn't compare to uh, actually being in person, but there are still things that, that I can do in ways that we can make an impact. And I have some, some ideas for the Halloween season and nothing set in stone there either. But if this, I have this vision in mind and if I can make this happen, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Don't think of it as a virtual magic show. It's more like a virtual haunted house. It's going to be a very interactive Halloween experience sort of like a virtual seance kind of thing. But again, that's just, I have this idea and I have some ideas for how this will all play out, but it's going to take a lot of work between now and then to pull it off. So I'm always thinking of ideas for how we can pivot in this COVID era, but still I'm always wishing that we could just go back. Just goes the fuck away and get back to normal. (laughs) Yeah. It's it, it. I mean, it is interesting because uh, there's actually a thing that's popping up. I was reading an article and you talking about like a virtual haunted house kind of reminded me of this. I want to see if you know about it because you are in Orlando there. So so we all know. And if you don't know now, you know, all the, the major Halloween events in Orlando specifically, because that's, you know, that's that's our mutual destination right now is canceled right now. So Halloween Horror Nights. So sad. Oh, it's so sad, dude. I mean, like it really is. It's it, like that's always one of my most anticipated events, and uh, dis, uh, like the Disney one, the Mickey's not so scary Halloween bullshit. Uh, we'll, we'll let that one slide. Though. Yeah, like that one. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. That, <laughs> you, you can cancel that one. Um, Halloween Horror Nights. As far as I know, uh, Hallow Scream is going to be canceled down in Bush Gardens. Um, I mean, everything's canceled. I mean, my I, 
I was going to go see Joe Rogan in like a couple of weeks at the Amway and that's canceled. Uh, so, but they're doing, I saw this was an article that, that came up on my feed. They're doing a, uh, they're doing a, a haunted drive through and I did see that. Yes. You saw that as well. Okay. So I don't know if you read those comments, but there's a lot of people in there. Cause I don't know the specifics of how this is going to work, but just on paper, when you throw that in my face, a haunted drive through, I agree with a lot of those comments that, I mean, I don't know how you're going to frame this. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but it just sounds like that's a lawsuit waiting to happen when you involve cars, (laughs) when you involve scaring people with cars. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen people that get scared at Halloween Horror Nights or those types of events and freak out and maybe like swing at one of the actors. Yeah. I don't know what, (laughs) they would do if their foot's on a gas pedal. (laughs) Like literally the only thing I can think of, if you were to be like, Hey, how do you figure this out? Like, how do we make this work and make it as safe as possible? It's sort of similar to how, like when you go through a car wash, you kind of put the car on this like, uh, system tracks. Yeah. Like the system that pulls it. Um, so you have no control over your car. Like you have to, you know, put it in neutral or whatever. And now you take your foot off the brake and, but still, I mean, that just sounds. Maybe it'd be a better idea to have designated drivers like a, 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 a tram ride, Ooh, but maybe yeah. with a fleet of golf carts. So you had a driver and it was just like limited to four or five people on a golf cart going through this trail something like that maybe yeah yeah that that could work as well yeah there's a lot of ways that this could work but just because i because i didn't actually click the article so that's where i that's where i'm at fault here i didn't actually read the specifics just i read the the headline and i was laughing to myself because i'm instantly thinking someone's gonna floored and kill somebody and and there's a lawsuit right there but they'll probably figure it out but um yeah dude halloween man it's that's that's probably my favorite time of year i love halloween so much it's just so many good memories and and i just love the vibe of the whole thing and again this i mean that's really i think where you would probably get a lot of your business right you get a lot of your business around that time because that just falls in line with what you do sure yeah halloween it's also my favorite holiday so it's sort of like it's like a love hate thing because I love doing shows. I love performing, but I also love just enjoying the holiday and going to all of those haunted houses and stuff. And this year, it seems like I pretty much lost both of those. But <laughs> um, I think with this virtual Halloween event, that would be pretty cool because then if it all works out, it's like it's going to be something that, that people are going to want to do when. When we do the first show, I think the word of mouth alone from that is just going to be incredible because if everything works the way I imagine, you'll be experiencing weird things from the comfort of your own home, even though this is all happening, even though there's a Ouija board on this end of the screen, you might see something happen on your end. Ooh. And this is going to be what on, on on your YouTube channel? Uh, no, this is going to be its own virtual. And again, this is not, I haven't put anything official out yet, but this would be a ticketed event. This would be, uh, tickets would probably be 
I want to say more, it's definitely going to be more expensive than, than a regular virtual show might be. It'll probably be in the 50 to $60 price range, but each show will be limited to a number of people, maybe 10 or less. And it'll involve myself and another performer. And yeah, there's just a lot of things. It's it's not going to be like anything else that you would have experienced. And it's also not something that was created because of COVID. Now it's got COVID in mind and it's socially distanced, but COVID or not, this is something that you would want to experience. Dude, I'm excited, man. I'm excited because also what happened uh, since the last time you were on the podcast is you uh you released your your ebook and uh what was the reaction to that dude because i actually picked it up and and uh i thought it was actually really like the techniques in there that you share and it's actually really good because i mean who doesn't want to improve their memory it's just something like you know even if you feel you have a good memory there's always you know you can always improve it so what's been like the reaction to that thanks yeah the reaction has been really positive to that and i got some requests because the book is, it's an ebook, but it's all dark. It's like the background is black with white, with white text over it. And some people had bought it and messaged and said, Hey, I want to print this out, you know, but so much ink. And so I made a, a light version, but a, a print friendly version. And if you order that and you want the print friendly version, just send me an email, just let me know and I'll send you that one as well. But the response has been great because like you said, the methods, learning how to create a memory palace, learning how to memorize long lists or sequences of playing cards and also the ability to understand what makes things memorable. I think it's all very powerful stuff. So I'm glad you enjoyed it and I think the feedback's been great. I know that People have actually bought two copies from me, which is nice because like, it's very honest. They, they wanted to share the book with someone else, so they ended up buying a second copy, which I really appreciate. And are these, like, is this stuff that you have like, figured out for yourself, or is this stuff that's been passed down to you and now you're kind of putting your spin on it? Or, or like, how do you come up with this stuff? Like, how do you figure out how to write this down so that it makes sense for for everyone listening, like the linking system, for example? Well, yeah, that's all stuff that's been passed down. It's, I think what I've done, my contribution here is just compiling all of this information and giving you a crash course. There's not any filler in that book. It's all very straight to the point. Most chapters are like one I think every chapter is one to two pages long. And it's like, this is the technique. Here's a, an example, like try this exercise. There you go. Now just apply it. And here's how you can apply it. And I go through, if you want to memorize long lists, here is the linking system. And here are five words for you to test it on. So it's, it's really direct, which I enjoy. It's like the foolish routine. It's just straight to the point. I, have a problem with performers or just acts that have a lot of filler. And it's like, does anybody really believe this? Or is he just stalling for time? And 
it's not the case in this book. It's only like 23 pages or something like that, but it's all really solid information. Yeah, it's really good, dude. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things about uh, about it is like you talk about, and I think you just said it there, you talk about like how you can even memorize a deck of cards. Uh, and and I know like there's there's ways that you can make it seem like you're memorizing a deck of cards. I know that there, there's methods to create the illusion you're you're you memorize the deck of cards um because i remember i used to do a few of those back in the day but i wasn't actually memorizing it i was you know using a a technique that wasn't legit but there are people out there that can literally memorize multiple decks of cards in record amount of time and blows me away every time i see it literally it's just like what is your 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 mind is on some other level that I don't even think I'll ever attain in this lifetime. Like, and it seems so like simple. I mean, well, not simple, but it just seems like, why would you even want to memorize the deck of cards? I mean, it's just the fact that they can that like, that's what it is. It's just, that is how good their memory is. And this book, I mean, you know, like I'm not saying like you like buy this book and you're going to be able to become like a world record breaker, but like, it is interesting. It's it's a very fascinating concept, and I love that you touched on it with this ebook, and 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 you released your 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 methods on it, and and your take on it, and um, you also did a video on it, right? That I thought was pretty clever. I did a video just talking about the contents of the book. It was sort of like a commercial for the book, but I'm really proud of it, and uh, and thinking about, but really, it's it's all part of the master plan because there's, I, I guess eventually what I'd like to do is put out a book of techniques. It's just sort of a book that is all about the mentalist mindset and it's going to cover my approach to a bunch of different things. And memory is one of them. Another might be attraction and certain attraction techniques and the psychology behind that. Another might be self-sufficient strategies, or maybe we can talk about sales and persuasion, negotiations, and all of this. And so that memory book will just end up being a chapter in the in the end game book. And of course, I'll expand on it. There's a couple of other things that will end up in the end up being in the memory section. I'll teach you how to memorize the alphabet backwards and how to, another possible option is like maybe how to never forget your gate terminal when you're at the airport, just little tips like that, that I've picked up along the way. So yeah, I'm glad you like the memory book. It's just going to be, it's just a sort of tease for what's coming in the future. And that's still on your website, right? That's still on, it's keithkong.com. The memory book is, yes. And if you use the promo code FOOLER, I'm not sure how long this will last. I'm not sure who's uh, listening. But if you use the promo code FOOLER, you can get 10% off. There you go. There you go. It's, it is definitely something that I would recommend. Uh, like I said, if you feel you have a good memory, if you feel you have a bad memory, if you feel you have a phenomenal memory, it's just... It's, and and you're and you're supporting a, a like a legit good guy, so it's it's a win win for everybody. And 
you know, it's it's just beneficial. And uh, kind of rounding it out here, the 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 thing that I really was curious about was looking at the performance. So going back to Fool Us, because we're all over the place here, but going back to Penn and Teller Fool Us for a second. With that performance, do you feel like there's anything, now that you know what it is, now that you know how it turned out and that you succeeded in what you wanted to do, would you go back and change anything? Even just the way you say something, the way you, the way you're standing, the way you're dressed, anything about that performance, or are you 100% satisfied with it? I would change a couple of things. Uh, and this has only come from like seeing comments and or some of it's come from seeing comments and thinking, Oh, you know, if I knew they would have thought that then like, for instance, the moment where Allison circled a song and I talked for a moment and some people say like, Oh, is he just stalling for time? That didn't have to happen. I could have, uh, I could have sped that moment up. So I would have done that. The other thing is I heard like, oh, they never showed an aerial shot of the list. That was out of my control. I thought they were going to show an aerial shot, but they didn't. And, you know, that led to people speculating certain things about the method. I don't know if that's good or bad because on one hand, they were speculating this stuff and it's like, but they're wrong. So is that just throwing them off more? On the other hand, it's like, is that just giving them an easy out to not understand really how much work went into this? So there's the aerial shot. There's also the, the amount that I talk after the selection is made. But then the other thing that I think would be, would have been really great is there's a moment when Penn says, Keith, 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 I love me singing. And then he says, I love me singing when I don't have to do anything even more. And in hindsight, when he said, I love me singing, it would have been a great thing if I had said, well, let's see, or something to that effect. And if we actually got Penn to sing right there in that moment, I think it would have been great for television. And I think it would have been a lot of fun. So of course, at the time, I'm just focusing so intently on what he's saying. Is he going to say a code or something like that? But now that I have the, the comfort of being able to watch it back, I wish I was quick enough in that moment to say, well, let's see, or something like that. But other than that, I'm pretty happy with it. The other thing is the record. A lot of people speculated, oh, well, Keith had to unwrap the record himself. And this is something that we taught, that we uh, talked and thought about prior to the performance, because I could have given Penn the record still gift wrapped and he could have unwrapped it himself. And mm. it was a decision on the production team's part for me to unwrap it because they had told me exactly how to hold it so that the camera could get a nice shot of it. So that we knew that people would say, oh, well, Keith had to unwrap it. So maybe that's where he did something fishy, but it didn't have to be the case. 
But dude, what's really good about that moment, and it just is, I guess it's luck on your end, is the fact that the the wrapping didn't get caught in any kind of weird way. Because then, of course, that would just, in 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 people's minds, that would create, okay, now there it is right there. There's the moment. Okay, yeah, the wrapping got caught. But it's such a, it's such a clean, I think you rip and you pull down. And... It's so like, like like the entire routine. It's so clean. There's no fumbling, and I was really happy about that because you know I I could see it going the way of like the wrapping doesn't want to come off or it, it 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 got caught on something, and that just I mean that's just visually not good for 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 something like that. So it was it was really smooth how it just came off after one tear. You know. Thanks. Yeah, that was all intentional. We put so much attention to detail. The way that we, the way that we did that is we just left sort of like a pocket where it wasn't taped in the back, yeah. so that my hand could easily get in there. And if you, I'm looking at a picture of it right now, actually, on the website, and that wrapping paper is all in one piece except for the top that was torn off. It was more like an envelope for that clean shot. So. Yeah. I'm just really proud of all the work that went into it and it really paid off. Yeah, dude, it, it, for everyone listening, I mean, this is the stuff that no one sees. I like I would I would almost bet a lot of money that you went through how much wrapping paper did you go through practicing how to how, like how, like just how to tear it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, probably just one roll because every time we rehearsed we did we just mined the wrapping paper until okay until maybe the last two or three rehearsals where it was like okay we're doing everything um you know all because there's no there's nothing funny about the wrapping paper it was just we need a clean tear it was more important to get everything else done but it's amazing how how much people pick up on things that aren't actually there they'll be like oh this happened in that moment so, for instance, you'll see in a lot of comments, people are saying, well, it looks like Allison circled a song near the top of the list, but Old McDonald's actually in the middle of the list. And that's just due to angles. Like, it just, whatever that angle is that they capture that from, I guess it looks like she circles a song closer to the top than, than she really does, because she really does circle Old McDonald. That's her choice. and it's funny to read those comments and see people reading into things that, that just aren't there. Dude, this brings up a good point. And I don't remember if we talked about this on the first, on the first uh, go around on the podcast, but um, if we did, I apologize everybody, but I don't remember. I just want to, because you just really brought up something that, that I want to make sure I get out here and, and see what your take is on it. But this is a, the art of magic, mentalism, everything involved in that field, it, it it's 100% an art like music, like comedy, like movies, all that stuff. The unfortunate thing about the art that I found, and this is why I think contributed to me leaving the art, is it's the one art form that I can think of that when people, people want to know how it's done, but they don't want to know how it's done so that they can appreciate it more. They want to know how it's done so that they feel better about themselves versus if you figure out how your favorite movie is done, 
like the behind the scenes of how they shot this one scene, you don't feel better about yourself. The love of the film increases. You're like, oh man, I love this movie more because I know the behind the scenes, like I know the passion that went into this. You figure out how your favorite recording artist recorded Thriller and you're like, oh my God, I'm like, I, I love Michael Jackson even more now. You figure out how a magician does something. Nine times out of 10, I want to say people don't f- appreciate the performer that much more. They just like, they feel better about themselves. Oh, I know how they did it now. And I think that's why I asked you at the beginning about the show because that's essentially what the show is. It's, it's you know, just try to fool us. And I think there has to be a, for the art to keep going. And this is also something that goes to the fact that, you know, now in 2020, everything is filmed, right? So back in like the early 1900s when magic was performed in a theater, all you had was that experience of watching it in the theater. And then you had the memory and that's it. There was no trying to dissect, rewind, figure out, figure out, figure out. It was, I'm present in the moment. I'm going to watch this performance and I'm going to take it with me. Now we live in this era of, oh, okay, it's film. So let me go back. Let me look at how Keith did this. Let me look at, oh, okay, well, how come there wasn't an aerial shot? How come there wasn't this? How come there wasn't that? It's so (laughs) like, like, you know what I mean, man? It's um, like, I'm just congratulating you that you've, that you've been able to maintain this passion because that kind of dissection and that kind of unappreciation is I think a big reason why I left. I think it's a big reason why I was just like, why am I doing this? It, it like, it doesn't seem like it's appreciated. <laughs> I, yeah. And I think that's a subset of people because I, I don't think that the majority of people seeing this go back and watch it 10 times trying to dissect it. If anything, some people watch it, just to appreciate it again. And that those are the people that, that I do this for. It's great to be able to take someone out of whatever they're going through for a moment and just show them something that they're going to appreciate. Because in a world where we have all the answers at our fingertips, literally the answer to any question you seek is on Google the moment you show someone something that they just can't explain, something that's Google proof, they're really fascinated. And I think it it's such a cool moment. And those are the people that make it worthwhile. I think that a lot of magicians also create somewhat of a challenge, like, haha, I fooled you. And, and they really put the weight on the fooling and, and how important it is, how important it is to fool someone. And yeah, if you're doing a show, you want the magic to be fooling, but you don't want it to be, uh, ha ha, I'm smarter than you. You don't want to make it a challenge scenario. You are all there appreciating and enjoying the magic at the same time. Magic happens and you just happen to be a part of that. But it's not because you're better than the audience or you possess these powers that no one else can have. And I think that some, in some ways the magic community is responsible for some of those reactions because some performers go out and create these scenarios. It's very rare that I have people say, Oh, I hate magic. I think I've heard it from two people in my life and I'm always so taken back. And it's like, what did you not have a child? Like, how do you hate magic? And it all comes back to a bad experience where a magician was either just flat out terrible or 
they made fun of that person. They called on people in the audience and picked on them. And I think they're just doing it wrong. Yeah, those are, uh, man, I've, I've, I've been there too. I've seen that as the audience member. It's always fun. Like, do you feel that too? Like being a magician, being a mentalist, it's always fun to go watch other performers because now you're sort of like a, like a stealth operation secret agent because you know, like, you know, like you're essentially what he is or what she is. And yet you're really kind of looking at how they're just doing the art and oh man, like even still to this day, it's like once a magician, always a magician. So like to the day I die, no matter like who I see, it's always going to be a little bit of a judgment. It's not going to be a hundred percent just feeling the moment. It's always going to be, dude, lighten up on the, lighten up on the comedy a little bit. Like you're, you're going a little too hard into the paint on that one. Yeah. I don't know that it's fun. It kind of is. It's kind of a bummer. (laughs) Right. I think you'd agree. It's like sometimes you just want to watch and enjoy and, once you know you there's no going back like you said so in the package shoot i say something about a phrase and it translates to the world wants to be deceived and i got some pushback online for that with people like no you know he people want to be astonished they never want to be deceived like you use the wrong word well because of the cuts in the package shoot do the timing and stuff. I could see how there'd be the misunderstanding, but I'm actually directly quoting this phrase. I'm not the one making this up. And I don't think it's this. I think if you're putting so much emphasis on the word deceived and taking it too literal, then you're missing the point. I think the idea is when we see these performances, we want to be fooled. I think Penn and Teller want to be fooled because we want that feeling. We want that enjoyment. We want to see something that we have no explanation for. And that's, that's what we don't get to have as often when we know some of the secrets behind this stuff. Yeah. It is a bummer. It is definitely a bummer. (laughs) I definitely agree, but it's part of the territory, man. You know, it just, it comes with it and is what it is. But I mean, you're, you're you're skyrocketing, dude. It's it's awesome to just watch the journey and to uh, even be a little bit of a part of it, just to have you on the podcast here and and catch up with you and, and talk about and and uh, dude, we did it, man. We did it, and we did it with no political talk. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, um, it's crazy. It's like, did you ever think? when I walked into that magic shop in St. Augustine, like however many years ago, like, oh, this guy is going to one day end up performing for Penn and Teller and fooling them. I didn't think it, so I know you didn't. And, oh. um, it's just been amazing. It's been such a crazy ride. Was the show Was the show even on then? I don't even know. What year was that? <laughs> the show's been on for seven years, so... 2013? It's It started? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was around there because I know I. Do you know what? I think it might have been just before then. I think it might have been maybe 2012, 2013. It was right around that time. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's. I mean, but it, if it was on, no. The, yeah, like the answer is a big <laughs> fat no. It because it's always this. Um, it's the, it, it's that mentality of you know, 
the small town, you know, like, you know, St. Augustine, whatever, like it's, it's this unattainable kind of thing, right? It's, it's, you see it on TV, you hear about it, you, you know, of, uh, of these things that are out there, but yet you never think, you know, whether it's you or somebody that you directly know will ever get to be on it kind of deal. And, and when this stuff happens, right? Like, this is why, I mean, uh, we didn't record it. I don't think, I think we put a pause at the end of the episode so that you could show me, but my very first initial reaction was literally just blown away. And a part of it was just the fact that you had even gone on the show. Like not the fact that you fooled them, the fact that you were even on the show. Like if you had, like, like if you had just been on the show, hadn't fooled them, I still would have been as amazed as, as I was. And then the fact that you added, oh, and this is the fool them, like, like, like this is the, like this is what I got because I did, like I, I, I accomplished what I set out to do. It's a like it's just a crazy thing, man. It's it's nuts. Yeah, I mean nobody goes on America's Got Talent, and then it's it's not like you're gonna one day say like, oh, my friend was on America's Got Talent. The next question isn't usually did they win. <laughs> it's like, uh, wow, that's amazing. They were on AGT. So winning, I think, is always, it's always something you want. It's always, like, nobody says, well, I didn't want to fool them. You always want to fool them. But you have to know that just the appearance alone is a huge win and take that for what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And that's something that you get to carry with you and until the end of the journey and, and, uh, I hope whenever you do get to go back and you, and and perform, I hope that you strike up some some kind of a like I said some sort of a friendship. I hope something comes out of, you know, performing with Penn and Teller, and then who knows what that's gonna like the domino effect of that, you know. Um, so yeah, dude, very very cool man, and I knew I wanted to get you on here so that we could share it, and because I knew like that was a big uh, big kind of cliffhanger that last episode. So oh yeah. For sure. Have you gotten any questions about that or what's the feedback been about that? Well, dude, like the funny part is, is, is that's why I mentioned the political talk because people were confused. (laughs) They were like, I thought you were talking to a magician mentalist and half of that episode is talking about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We went pretty deep that time. (laughs) I mean, but you know, other than that, it's, you know, I, I guess other than the people who might've been like, uh, Bernie Sanders talk, um, it's it, it's just been great great feedback on it so um i definitely wanted to make sure like you know even if political talk came up in this one i definitely wanted to kind of maintain it a little stronger because i felt like uh it went off the rails a little bit <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> Which, yeah I, mean, I can't remember you i think you asked me something or you said something and i was like oh no like i got it i'm gonna take the bait yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said something and it just set it up and to be honest right now like ever since that all changed, which was all in March. It was such a crazy month because I think he was he was winning in the early states, and and that was around the time that Fool was taped, and I had just fooled them, and it was amazing. And then about the third week in March, everything just went downhill. Coronavirus kicked in. The moderates all backed Joe Biden, and it all it all changed. So. Since then, I just have been leaning really heavy into work and getting creative and 
producing stuff and I'm still aware, aware and mindful of everything that's going on, but it just brings me no pleasure to talk about it because <laughs> I have, I really just, the thing about the whole Bernie Sanders thing is I, for the first time felt like some sort of hope and optimism. And now I'm just like, you know what, where I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just see how this all pans out. <laughs> You're like, I'd rather watch uh, Larry David play Bernie Sanders on SNL. <laughs> oh, makes me too sad. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's interesting. I mean, I'm not uh, criticizing it too much. I'm just saying it was uh, it was a definite shift in terms of, I guess, uh, sort of like a black comedy kind of thing. Uh, like you think it's all going to be fun and light, and then all of a sudden it goes into some dark territory. Um, yeah, literally but... half of the episode. Um... <laughs> yeah. But I kept it all in there, man. I kept it all in there. And, and I think even in the introduction to the episode, I'm like, just so you guys know, yes. half of this episode is political talk. I'm not cutting it, but I just want to let you know. So in case you're not into that, go to this part or whatever. Um, yeah, maybe in the future, what we'll have to do is uh, sort of a dedicated episode to that. And that way, if people do want to listen to that, then they can. And we can just keep this, the topics really separate. But I know you're a fan of Joe Rogan's podcast, and I really like the way that he sort of sets up these debates from time to time. That would be a great thing to do, I think, maybe on this show. And and maybe I'm, I'm just one guy, so let us know in the comments of this episode and, and let Eddie know on Twitter and everywhere else if that's something you'd be interested in. But it's something I would be interested in for sure. I mean... I'm like, I'm always game for anything. That stuff is, that stuff is where I lack a lot of understanding. So you would like, like you did, you would have to do a lot of taking the reins. Cause I just kind of, once that kicked in, I, I think I sat back in the chair for the first time that whole episode. And I was just like, all right, you take it. <laughs> Cause I have no idea. Seriously. Like I'm so stupid when it comes to that shit. And I think part of it is, is on purpose. And I think part of it is not on purpose. Um, but I like that idea. I like that idea of maybe dedicating something specific to that and maybe getting somebody else on that, that, that you mutually respect and that I know. And so we'll have some talks, man. We'll have some talks and uh, we'll figure it out. But either way, I was happy you came back on, put aside some time to do this. And once again, man, you motherfucker, congratulations. You fooled Penn and Teller. I, I, like, I know you sleep well at night just knowing that. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, now I'm getting used to it, right? But in the months between then and it actually airing, it just didn't feel real. And sometimes it still doesn't. And I'll have these moments where it's like, it'll just hit you and it's like, I fooled Penn and Zeller. Yep. <laughs> like, wow, that's insane. Because from the day I started performing, these are guys that I looked up to. These are guys that I admired their work. And it's just so surreal to then be performing for them on their stage in Las Vegas and for Penn to say such nice things about it in his podcast and just really sort of validate all of the work that went into it. Now that he knows a little bit of, of what actually happened that night. Um, it's just such a great feeling. Yeah, dude. And I, uh, I got to listen to that episode. I'm not caught up on his podcast cause I listen to it from time to time, but I definitely got to check that one out and, and, uh, also, because I know you mentioned uh, Rogan, it just reminded me he was on Rogan. I don't know if you ever saw that episode, but uh, yeah, I think he talked about his weight loss. 
Oh, do you, I mean they talk about everything on there? They they talk about Trump because uh, Penn was on. Oh, that's right. That's Penn right. was on the Celebrity Apprentice. Um, so he talks about that, which is really interesting insight, and it's just a really good episode. I love Penn's voice. Like Penn has uh, Penn has a really good voice. I love how raspy it is, and so I mean. <laughs> When I found out he had a podcast, because I didn't know for the longest time, I had no clue he had a podcast. I was like, oh, that's so perfect. I mean, there's certain people that need a podcast just because they have a good voice, not necessarily because that they talk with any kind of anything. It's just the fact that he has a good voice. So give the guy a podcast. So I love the intro song to his podcast. And it, if anyone wants to listen to that episode in particular, it's called Cockadoodle Fool, which I thought was great too, because they literally named the episode after your yeah after Old McDonald, right? Interesting, man. That's so cool. There's another like I mean, even that's like a subtle thing. Like that's another win right there. <laughs> you got a podcast <laughs> <sure>. titled episode. <laughs> Fucking sweet, dude. Look, man. Thanks for coming on and. Uh, Got to hang out one of these days because I know we're I know we're a little distance, but uh, I had no problems coming out to you that one time. Just uh, COVID, man. I'm a little freaked out from time to time, and so I was like, "Eh, we'll do a remote recording this time." But uh, yeah, no worries. It makes sense. But uh, we'll uh, we'll have to hang out, and I was going to suggest doing Halloween Horror Nights, but that that's that's gone, gone, man. Oh well. Yeah, I've gone literally every year for maybe the past, I have to check the exact dates, but it's probably been for the past 13 or 14 years. Oh, yeah. I I, I started going in 07 when it was Carnival of Carnage with Freddy, Jason, and Leatherface. That was my first year. and. I think no, I, me too. That was it. Nice. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't. I, I would not change because I thought like that's still my favorite year. And I know people would be like, oh, well, because it was your first year. Uh, it's just I have such good memories and I was so young. And uh, I love I mean, I love every year, but I've I, I only missed 2018 um, for financial reasons. But uh, oh, yeah, I was just like, ah. I haven't haven't missed a year since. So I'm really bummed out about this. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember my first year it makes no sense now but i was so scared i can't remember how old i was then 20 2007 was it it was 07 yep so that was i was probably in like seventh grade coming into eighth grade or something and i didn't know what it was i was just i was really nervous so i intentionally avoided the big three or four houses that year i was like nah i don't want to do the, the too scary like let's work up let's work our way up and I didn't know anything about the wait times or anything. So I think I got into three houses. Now I'll go and do like 10 houses in a night. Cause I just know the systems. I know yep. how the times <laughs> are going to change. I'm a pro at this point and I get the frequent fear pass. So I go so many times the way it always works out is you learn your favorite houses in the first week. And then after that, it's like, let's go to this house. It's the best house. We'll go to that house. And then maybe we'll throw in a second string house. But this year we get none of that. Yeah. So sad. Cause it's just, uh, I love it, man. It's just such a good feeling. And, 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 and when I tell like, like when I invite certain friends and they turn it down, they're like, why, why would I do that? I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? It's just, Oh, I know. <laughs> I went one time with a friend 
who got scared all the time. And so he would just look at the floor and he told me, he was like, Oh, I, I like, I figured it out. I just look at the floor and that way I don't get scared. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, you're missing you paid it. All of this money to watch the floor, man. Like, come on, at least take in, like, I appreciate the set design, the costume design, the psychology behind the scares, like the mirror walls, the, the drop doors, it all is so amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it's, it's truly incredible. And, uh, like I'm so diehard that I don't ever, like, I don't, I, I want to try hollow scream at Bush gardens, but I know it's just going to be like, I don't, I don't have any intention of it replacing Halloween Horror Nights. It's just Halloween Horror you Nights. You should try it. It's good? It's it's good. It's good in its own way. It's not like Halloween Horror Nights, but that's a good thing at times. So, for instance, you're not going to be back-to-back with someone in line. You might... I've been in Hello Scream houses where it's like just me and my group of, of four other people and we're walking through the house alone. So not only that, but you can pull your phone out and take pictures and videos from inside the house. No one yells at you about it. And unlike Halloween Horror Nights, where they might have a speaker and a foot pedal that they step on and it makes the same screaming sound or whatever, and someone pops out, at Bush Gardens, they are really yelling. Like they're really screaming in the houses, if you see an old lady in one of the haunted houses at Halloween Horror Nights, chances are she's like 22 with makeup on and, and latex, prosthetics, and that sort of thing. In Hollow Scream, that's a real old lady. <laughs> like, it's super crazy. Huh. I wonder how they... So maybe maybe it can happen this year. I don't know, because it sounds like they were already doing social distancing before it was a fad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the lines are still... The lines just aren't as long as Halloween Horror Nights. So the first time I went to Hollow Screen, I did every single house that they had twice <laughs> in one night and saw the show. Yeah, dude, that's crazy, man. Because I know uh, uh, like a few years, Brian Brushwood, I think that's his name. He was at HHN, right? Yes. Yeah, that's one of my... So I've started creating a list of my dream gigs like where would i absolutely love to perform and halloween horror nights is on that list yeah yeah it's because i hold on i just want to make sure i got that okay yeah yeah okay that was gonna bother me yeah it is it's brian brushwood but you confirmed it. i don't know why uh questioned it um yeah they got a. but i feel like now they do a lot of that dancing shit and it's like it's cool can we go back to Brian or can we get some like crazy fucking uh, just something in here? Like it's cool to watch dance acts, but I don't know. I miss the, cause they, cause they got rid of Bill and Ted. So, uh, so yeah, you know, that was that on its own. They might as well have gotten rid of <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. I was like, that was the, for me with a frequent fear, I'd seen Bill and Ted like 13 times every year. Yeah. It's we- I could, I could play a stand-in for any given character in that show on any given year. Yeah, it's weird, man. They do that a lot, Universal, like I noticed, because they got rid of the Terminator ride or show, because it, it was a show. And right, like that was right before the newest Terminator had come out. It's like, and you replace it with the Bourne franchise that has no... Well, I, 
that has no well, new... Well, I think it has to do with the licensing costs because when Bill and Ted, the, their new movie is coming out... That's what uh, I'm saying. month, I think. Yeah. Right, and so now the cost to renew that name and use that show has just gone up significantly uh, versus a show or a movie that they made 20 years ago. It's it's relatively cheap for them to license that name out and do this show. But now that it's new again, that price rose and I guess they just didn't see it being worth the increase in cost. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Just butt hurt. But that really confused me with the Bill and Ted. I was like, there's a, because it was, they canceled it. And then I think literally maybe within a week, the announcement came out that Bill and Ted three was happening. I was like, are you kidding me? You, (laughs) you idiots. Yeah. No, they had known. Mother. I don't know. But yeah, like that was something that I was really upset about. So it's just like, now I miss the, uh, the classic kind of sit down show. And as far as I know, they don't have that anymore. It's just, you stand and you watch this dance act that's been on like America's Got Talent or something. And it's like, okay, that's cool. It's great. It gets me pumped, but there's nothing like watching a Bill and Ted show or a Brian Brushwood do some crazy illusions that, you know, boggle my mind. And I don't know. I miss it, man. But yeah, it's not happening this year. So I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next year, hopefully next year. Cause dude, this is going to be the 30th. This was a year 30. So sucks that it happened on the 30th anniversary, but whatever. Fucking COVID. Yep. <laughs> well, dude, I'll let you go, man. Appreciate you coming back on here. And like I said, we'll hang out soon once, uh, once COVID dies down, but uh, congrats once again, dude, very much, very, very well deserved. I know, uh, I know like I've, I've known you for years and uh, couldn't be happier for you. So congrats, dude. Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate it. It's been amazing. And uh, thanks for having me back on. I hope you guys are enjoying listening to this. Yeah, yeah. Let us know. So we'll talk to you soon, and I will talk to you soon, Keith. Awesome. Thanks, Eddie. Bye.